0: This is Attorney Andy Markintel and Attorney Mark J. Victor. We are the Attorneys for Freedom, and you, my friends, are listening to the Peace Radicals Podcast. How you doing today, Mark? I'm
1: tired, man. Monday morning. I just got back from Hawaii, so I'm getting used to the time zone again. But uh, ready to go.
0: You were working over there.
1: I was busy, busy. Lots of stuff going on in Hawaii. Lots of live and let live stuff going on. Meetings. Podcasts. I'm getting interviewed from people. So yeah, things are really growing. The movement is, I think, doubled in about 30 days, and people are wanting to start chapters. And we just had our uh, leaders meeting, our monthly leaders meeting, with tons of new faces, new chapters, people from all over the world. So yeah, it's really getting exciting.
0: That's all good stuff. Well, we got a great guest today. We but do. Before we get to that guest. Mark, what we've been doing is giving a pitch for the Live and Let Live movement, right? What is this all about? What If I click on this video for the first time, maybe I'm unfamiliar with the movement. Tell us what the movement is.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, Live and Let Live is a vehicle for what I like to say the reasonable people of the world to improve the world. I mean, if you're cranky about how... Things are going. If you're in the U.S., you're probably cranky with the R's and the D's. And why shouldn't you be, right? I mean, if you've been watching politics for any length of time, uh, you know, neither the R's or the D's are getting us anywhere. They're just sitting there like kids in a sandbox throwing mud at each other. Nobody's getting anything done. Uh, As uh, my professor Butler Schaefer used to say, if they get you asking the wrong question, doesn't matter what the answer is. These guys got no idea what the questions are. They don't know. Uh, what's going on so if you're frustrated and cranky about how things are going in the world be part of the solution join the live and let live movement so live and let live is uh really just what it says it is it's live and let live if you like that phrase live and let live you're going to love the live and let live movement it has things to say about the legal world which is in essence that all laws ought to be Calibrated, I like to say, to be consistent with what we call the live and let live principle, which basically means don't be an aggressor. You might think about kindergarten, right? Keep your hands to yourself and don't take the other kids' toys without their permission. Pretty much the same rule, right? What's an aggressor? Somebody who initiates force against another person or their property or someone who engages in fraud or coercion or does something that creates a substantial risk of harm to another person or their property. Those are the things that the law ought to prohibit. It already does prohibit that, right? Anything in violation of any of those things already is a crime. And so it should stay a crime. We agree with that. But if it doesn't violate that rule well, then we don't think it should be against the law because you're not bothering anybody. I mean, you, you might be bothering somebody, but you're not bothering to to the extent that you're interfering with them, right? They may not like the way you're living or something, but hey, uh, you get a right to live however you want to live. So if you don't violate that principle, which sometimes we just loosely call the rule, right? Do If you don't violate the rule, do anything else that you want to do. So basically, you, this leaves competent adults in charge of their body, property money and time and then we have something to say the live and let live movement does about Ethics and I know people cringe right because we don't all agree on this stuff and we understand that and so um, ethics rules ought to be completely different than legal rules, right? You can ignore ethics rules or moral rules and there's no formal consequence. That's the big difference between the two varieties of rules. And so live and let live is pushing what we call aspirational values in this ethics or morality space. And these are things like open-mindedness and tolerance and voluntary kindness and civility in building high levels of trust with other human beings and a commitment to justice and truth and facts. Uh, These things, because what we're trying to do here in this space is to optimize human happiness while decreasing human suffering. So we're pushing both sides of this. this. The reason for this is it's a global peace movement. This is a movement that's not a United States movement. It's a movement for people around the world. And so there are many different countries involved in the live and let live movement. And so, yeah, if you want to be part of the solution, if you're tired of just sitting around being angry about everybody trying to boss everybody else around and you think what makes more sense is for us to just live and let live, join the movement. No big deal. It's free. Go to liveandletlive.org, sign up as a member, check the box that says you basically agree with what it is I just laid out. And uh, put, give us your email address, and that's it. Bam! You're a member of the Live and Let Live movement. We'd like you to get more involved. The movement hasn't even kicked off yet. We don't kick off until March of 2023, so there's lots of opportunities for people to get involved and uh, help push Live and Let Live.
0: All right. Well, that was a great uh, summary of what this movement's all about, and I think that's a perfect time to get our guests involved, because this guy's a heavy hitter in the freedom world, man.
1: I've known Doug Casey a long time, it, yeah, and it, I'm proud to say I've been his friend the whole time.
0: It doesn't get more rabid, frothing at the mouth, pro-freedom than this guy. He is a uh, self-described anarcho-capitalist for years and years. He's also a published author. He's a freedom advocate. He's a founder and chairman of uh, Casey Research, which we might spend some time talking about and he's appearing right now via zoom from virginia doug can you just uh, introduce yourself to our listeners
2: okay i'm talking to you from uh an area of virginia i've left aspen where i have spent the northern summer uh for the last many many years and uh, i'm on my way to uruguay and i'm very happy to be on my way because it scares me being in the us and i've got to mention it's a pleasure talking to you guys uh which is very unusual. I normally hate talking to attorneys, but, uh, but you guys are, are special and different. In fact, the only thing that I can think different from you guys is I see you're you're sporting live and let live coffee mugs. I'm sporting a Sturgis coffee ah, mug.
0: Not a bad because, one either. Uh,
2: I went to Sturgis, uh, not as a biker, but uh, just wanted to see the town. And the bar where I bought this, about the only rule that they had was uh, no colors, no weapons. Other than that, it was a a rule-free bar, I guess. So anyway, that's my coffee mug. You'll have to send me one of yours, too. Everybody ought to have a Live and Let Live mug as well.
0: Yeah, I think so. I'll slap that logo on as many things as we can. No doubt. No doubt why are you anyway scared, yeah why are you why are you scared to live in the united states i could probably think of a few reasons why but why are you well scared
1: because to live? because it's clear
2: to me that the u.s is well on its way to becoming a police state an actual police state uh since the election of the biden regime uh last year uh look the people that control the apparatus of the state, Washington D.C., the federal government, and for that matter, many of the state governments and local governments as well, they're actual Bolsheviks. Uh, they're psychologically the same people that took over the uh, took over Russia in 1917. They think the same. They believe the same same way, and they're going to start acting the same. I believe because uh, they've got the bit in their teeth. In fact. They're the same as the Jacobins that uh, took over France in 1793 after the revolution. Same people. In fact, they're the same people that we saw in China in the 60s. Were called the Red Guards. They have the same psychology as uh, all these horrible people that have created disasters all over the world. So I'm afraid that the U.S. is on the slippery slope, and that's going to have lots and lots of nasty consequences for everybody absolutely Americans in the United
0: States. Is there anything special about the United States that might, I guess, anesthetize it to um, the same problems that these other groups have had over the years? In other words, we like to think of ourselves as, well, we're, we're a special country. There's something special about the United States that makes us particularly um, resistant to these types of uh, thought movements and uh, these types of regimes that you're describing. Do you agree with that?
2: That's an excellent point. Uh, And and you're right about that, because uh, in the culture of the United States, the culture of the U.S. uh, is unique. And of course, every country is unique in its its own ways. But uh, the U.S. was unique uh, in ways that I approve of. What, What am I talking about? It's the only country in the world's history ever that enshrined the values of personal freedom, and free thought and free speech and individualism and capitalism and entrepreneurialism. Uh, There's a list of a dozen things. Actually, I don't have it in front of me right now that make Western civilization, uh, which is the only civilization in the world's history that amounts to a hill of beans, incidentally, but uh, American values and Western civilization itself are under serious attack right now. And uh, they're being washed away right before our very eyes. Uh, you, you guys might remember when you were a kid, certainly when I was a kid, when uh, you know some, some kids would get together and one guy would start razzing. Uh, and the other, the other guys would say, hey, you can't say that. And the, the standard answer is, hey, It's a free country. Mm. Nobody says that anymore. You ever notice that? I don't think kids ever say it anymore. Not that they ever study philosophy or politics, but uh, they recognize that it's it's, it's changed. Uh, Look, in the last two or three generations, the educational system has been totally conquered by Marxists. And you go to any college or university in the U.S and the faculty are all Marxists. Some of them hard, hardcore, some of them are actually communists. I say that because I was a, I was a trustee of a university, uh, actually the 10th oldest college in the US. And uh, I saw that firsthand. So kids are indoctrinated now. And uh, it's true that, uh, that uh, Ignatius Loyola, the founder of the Jesuits and Lenin Uh, the founder of the Soviet Union, both said, they both believed, uh, give me a kid until he's eight years old, and I will make him a Christian or a communist or whatever you want for life. Because, uh, you know, you can imprint them the way when a puppy or a colt is being brought up, the way they're taught when they're young, they're imprinted. Well, it's the same with people, uh, except we're imprinted for a longer period of time. We're actively indoctrinated, so I don't have much hope at this point. Uh, sorry to be so pessimistic, because what you guys are doing is a wonderful thing, and it's. But but we're like salmon swimming upstream against the tide. Uh, <laughs>
1: Well, you know the salmon.
0: I just love the cherry disposition here. Yeah, yeah.
1: You know the salmon; they they survive by swimming upstream, and they 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 succeed at doing this, and so um, it can be well, done. They, they do, but that's
2: right. The species survives, but the individual salmon—it's uh, a one-way trip for them. So, uh, you know, that's that's why I like to spend most of my year uh, in in Uruguay, where. Uh, You know, they don't care who I am or what I say. First of all, because everything I say is in English, and they speak Spanish. I speak some (laughs) Spanish, too. They don't know what you're saying. (laughs) philosophical issues. Hey, I'm just a foreign rich guy who employs the locals, and they leave me alone. I like that. Uh, That's not the case here in the U.S. anymore.
1: So, Doug, how do you think we got here? How did we get from a relatively free place in the world not perfect, but freer than most places, to uh, where you perceive we are now?
2: You know, the thing is, is that uh, maybe it's hopeless, uh, actually, because the U.S. was unique, totally unique, uh, in having those values that I mentioned. But, uh, you know, it doesn't matter if we live in a society that Ayn Rand could create, uh, because it starts with the family. We all like the family, okay? Family is a good thing. That's 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 great. Except the family is an essentially socialist institution, where from each, according to his ability, and to each according to his needs. Where you have a father or a mother or both that give orders to the little people below them. So, for all the good and wonderful things the family has. It basically implants the seed of socialism. People say, gee, I wish that the wider society could be like my family. Well, it doesn't work that way, but that's planted in people's minds. So I'm not sure we can get away from uh, this plague that uh, afflicts uh, humanity for that reason.
1: You know, Doug, um, maybe this question will come out of left field, but... My response to what you just said is, so what? I don't care if people like socialism. Uh, I like the family. I don't care that it's socialist. I think the issue is not socialism. The issue is whether it is voluntary or involuntary, right? I mean, the family is created by the two competent adults, uh, the mom and the dad, and they voluntarily get together. They voluntarily pool their assets They voluntarily make kids. The kids have guardians. They're not competent adults yet. Their parents are responsible for them. They have what we lawyers would call a fiduciary responsibility to the kids to take care of the kids. They put the kids in that position. I don't see any issue there whatsoever. I think that um, families have taught freedom and have taught the idea that, you know, when you go to kindergarten, keep your hands to yourself. Don't take the other kids' toys, That's, to me, the issue. We had relative freedom in this country during the period we talked about, and we still had families. So it wasn't the family that um, screwed things up, if you will. So I I don't know that simply identifying, hey, families and they're socialist is the reason we are where we are. Also, let me just um, push back a little on your pessimism. We're getting more freedom in the United States in some areas, aren't we? I mean... Look at marijuana's legal in most places now. If you asked me that back when we met, Doug, over two decades ago, do you think conservative Arizona will ever legalize marijuana, not just for medical purposes, but for, for fun, for recreational purposes? I would have told you, man, that's really far off. I would probably would have said maybe someday because I'm an optimist, but not in my lifetime. But yet here we are. Um, other areas as well. Well, th- those are both good points. And before I,
2: you know, primitive people have a way of counting. They say two, three, many, because people can't remember more than three things. You're probably going to come up with a third. So <laughs> I better cover cover these things while I can still remember them. As far as the family is concerned, listen, I'm pro-family 100%. I'm just looking at the, uh, I'm just looking at, the problem is, is that the parents uh, don't instruct their kids in philosophy. This is one of the reasons why I'm all for homeschooling, would force the parents to think about these things. And the kid only sees, gee, family. Let's have a big family, like in the US. They don't think you're right, but they don't think in the broad philosophical terms. So they only see the bright side and not the downside. And uh, as far as marijuana and freedom getting better in some ways, Yeah, you're absolutely correct, and I'm all for the total legalization of all drugs. Unfortunately, however, uh, you know, these things are all regulated, and the reason that they've uh, made drugs legal in places is not for any kind of philosophical reason. It's because by making it legal, they can collect more taxes, number one, and number two, they can sedate the people. I mean, it's, uh, you know, keep them keep them doped up and, and sedated and they won't bother you so much. So good thing. But,
1: you know, it's got some bad consequences. I think the reason marijuana has become legal is not those reasons, because they could have taxed it the whole time during the drug war. They could have said, hey, we want people to be sedated or something the entire time during the drug war since the late 60s. I think the reason it changed is the reason anything changes because enough people change their mind enough about hearts things. and minds
0: changed on the issue.
1: That's the only reason anything ever changes. Enough people change their mind. And so this has been the historically speaking, the impetus for change of all types throughout human history. When enough people get on board and take sort of um, speaking metaphorically, their pitchforks into the into the center of town and say hey we demand change that happens and until that happens, then there is no change And so that's why you know with live and let live, we're not focusing on any certain jingle or trying to sneak somebody into office or some catchy little issue here and there or we're, we're just trying to change hearts and minds for the basic right reasons, the principle that we like. I mean, if you like the principle we discussed, get on board, grab your pitch.
2: And that's why, and that's why, I totally support what you guys are doing. Totally support it. Uh, and you're right about these things. It's, uh, it's, uh, it's 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 just that you know we're. we're the great tide of history, I think, is still against us. Quite frankly,
0: I don't. I don't think that's the case. I nope. think we. I think we are freer now than we have ever been. Yes, pound for pound, I was as just, human beings on this planet. I was
1: just getting ready to pile on on that point too, Doug. As you're sitting there, and you said, Virginia, you're living a more free, prosperous life than almost all human beings who have ever lived on the planet. So we can sit and decry what's going on and this and that and the Bidens. And yeah, I agree with you that there are some tides that are moving in the wrong direction. But on the other hand, man, almost every other human being who's ever lived on the planet would listen to this conversation right now and say, man, the richest kings would trade places with us just a few hundred years ago. So you know the whether you say the glass is half empty or half full. I think there's a really good case. It's almost completely full, and we're sitting here complaining about ten percent empty or something. And so, I was just getting started on some of the freedoms moving in the right direction here. We also okay,
2: but but you, know, I've got to I've got to you
1: know, counter what
2: you're saying on that because let's take when it comes to the right to um, arm yourself, which is. Uh, historically, and I'm talking for thousands of years, the right to to bear arms was an essential distinction between a free person and a slave. Uh, that's going out the window uh, in the U.S. And over the next three years, uh, with these people in office, well, we we may lose it entirely legally. Uh, you have no financial security. Let's at go all. one at
1: a time, Doug. Let's get to financial after I push back on on Second Amendment. We just had the Heller case, but I say just, it was 2008. Until 2008, the individual right to keep and bear arms was not even firmly established in this country. We had many circuit courts saying, ah, this is some collective right, maybe the National Guard... Uh, This is about the National Guard having weapons. And the Supreme Court in 2008 said, nope, there's an individual right to keep and bear arms in your home. Fundamental constitutional right. The court now is more, much more pro-Second Amendment than they were in 2008. I expect the Heller Doctrine will be expanded here despite Joe Biden. Unless, of course, he succeeds in his court packing scheme, which I predict he will not um but so the court is now more pro gun rights than we've ever had and when i say gun rights i mean for competent adults right they've the court and heller recognized there are exceptions here people who aren't competent people who are have uh felonies in their past things like that i don't disagree with those i mean i may qual- tweak it a little bit in terms of what kind of felony you got in your past but still i think this country is poised Right now to have a more expanded view of gun rights than ever before I predict this case Hawaii a young versus Hawaii will expand the Heller doctrine to keeping and bearing guns outside the home which Heller only talked about inside the home so yeah I I recognize that the, the the forces the anti gun forces are mobile and they're making a lot of noise. But the quiet uh, people who matter on this issue, which is the United States Supreme Supreme Court.
0: Court. So, because there are nine people who are likely to keep the, you know, who. who find this an important right and maybe even expanding on what we have, it is a stopgap of whoever the current regime is and whatever they want to do. I mean, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about at the very beginning of the conversation. Is there something special about how our legal system here in America is designed that maybe it was anticipated that some crazy gun grabber regime like a Biden regime or something like that would come along? Well,
2: I'm looking at the longer term trend from the days when well, just during my lifetime. Look, when I was a kid, okay, uh, all the other guys, we all had, we all had guns. And when I was, uh, how old was I? I was, um, hmm, I was 18, I guess, about. And I flew from Washington D.C. to, uh, no, from Chicago to Washington D.C. and back again. And I just simply put my 22 rifle and my 22 pistol and my 22 pistol in the overhead compartment above me nobody even asked me getting on the plane <laughs> on the plane getting nobody even thought twice about it and i, I was a kid no way could that happen today with the uh, the way things are uh, you know in the old days everybody could carry a, could carry a gun uh, open or concealed but, you know now you need uh, all kinds of of, of, of proof and he used to be able to buy guns through the mail, now try to buy a gun and, you know, they give you the third degree. So it's a gradual incremental thing. Uh, it's become harder and harder where now they have, the, what do they call these red flag laws in a lot of places where if somebody reports, hey, that guy owns a gun and I think he's acting unstable, the cops can visit you and take your guns away from you just because somebody says that for whatever reason. So that's what I'm talking about. And uh, the opinion of the Supreme Court can, can change. Well, it doesn't even have to pack the court. I mean, a couple of ju- just, justices die in the next few years. I, and anyway, I don't think the Biden regime is going away in uh, 2024. These people are gonna find a way to cement themselves in office. They love power. Power is what it's all about. And they're gonna do anything to make sure they stay there. Of course, that's assuming we don't have a civil war before then. Uh, anything could happen. I think this country is very unstable at this point.
1: Yeah, I agree. But I see this as a good thing. I mean, this uh, I agree with what you're saying about the left and the Biden regime. But, of course, the exact same thing could be said about the right and the Trump regime, right? They weren't exactly excited. Uh, I think we had the very first ever time in in american history where an american president re- really fought a peaceful transition of power to the next regime didn't meet with biden wasn't cordial about it
0: and what uh, what doug just said about uh, he's going to find a way to solidify himself and there of course was being you know tweeted by folks on the left that were saying oh this guy's he loves power he's a megalomaniac he's he's not leaving office
1: same thing and i agree that things are a bit unstable people are upset right now but Look, if you want to start a new movement, right, if you say, look, let's pick a time to start a new movement that's based on principle that actually makes sense, right? I I dare, I challenge anybody to come on this podcast or even if they want to speak privately and in, in make the case to me that live and let live doesn't make sense. That's the one I want to hear. I want that person Listen, to come I on. Totally, the-
2: Mark, I totally agree. I totally agree with you that... Um, <clears throat> It's gotta be a one girl tells another, tells another type of thing. And so what you're doing is is correct. I'm just, I, I just don't think we have an awful lot of cause for optimism. So I think, uh, I, look, how do you, ha- you know, that's great. Everybody should do their part and do this type of thing, C- completely agree. I just think that uh, we're swimming against the bigger tide of history. And when the US goes down, all the other countries in the world are going to go down, too. Look at Canada. I mean, it's turning into a shithole. Look at Australia. I mean, it's turned into an actual police state. They're a few years ahead of us. Uh, And from an economic point of view, the US is bankrupt. The US government's bankrupt. And uh, we're like Argentina. And what's going to happen when the economy overtly collapses? And I'm a bear that way is the American people. Everybody thinks the government is the cornucopia for everything, everything. I mean, the whole world revolves around what should we do, which means what should the government do? That's the way people think today. And when that happens, they're going to they're gonna look for somebody to be a savior, somebody that says, I can fix it and make it better. You know, so we're going to get a Hitler or a Stalin or a Roosevelt, Roosevelt on steroids this time. Uh, so uh I'm not I'm not uh listen, I'm a, you gotta understand, I'm in a position where I agree a hundred percent with everything you guys are doing and saying. It's just that uh you've gotta we're in a position the French have a phrase, solve keep up, but you can save themselves, which is why, you know, I have uh, uh a residence in Uruguay and Argentina. Uh in addition to the U.S. so that when, when the side knocks on my door, I won't be here or I can be gone real quickly. That's why I said, I think we're gonna have a civil war. These red people and blue people actually hate each other. They, and they can't talk to each other. I mean, that's what I've found. And now this has been exacerbated with, these, with, with the COVID nonsense and these mask rules and so forth. But I gotta say, there's a good thing about the mask rules. It's that when I see somebody wearing a mask, I can assume he's one of the bad guys. Is is a sheep that does what he's told and you know listens to propaganda and he's identifying himself. But uh, anyway,
0: or he's in private property at, where the look, property owner. I, always look,
2: I always look at the bright side, as you know. <laughs> so I, I, I do look at the bright side. The masks, for instance, that way.
1: <laughs> I. Boy, you covered a lot of ground there, Doug. Um, I have trouble pushing back, to be fair, on the financial situation. I mean, I recognize, of course, on the other hand, you and I have been talking about this for 20 years. I remember you saying to me a phrase 20-something years ago that said, well, you know, we're going to have a crash. They may paper it over, as you said. They may paper it over another time. And they've, they've succeeded at papering it over for 20 years now since we've been talking about it. But there probably is going to come a day of reckoning. But but even there, this has to happen at some point, right? I mean, either we keep spending beyond our means and running up the debt and printing money, um, or or we stop doing that at some point and face the facts. And so that's going to have to happen. We're going to have a day of reckoning financially. But still, this creates opportunities. And I think most people aren't really dyed in the wool r's or d's most people don't really care that much most people are worried about raising their kids and where they're going on vacation and they're not really that wed to this stuff yeah there are activists on the edges here but i think the vast majority of people the ones who are going to suffer from what the r's and the d's are doing would side with us there are enough people out there who if they could hear the message that we're bringing the one message that's always led to more freedom (laughs) in more prosperity, uh, in in more happiness among human beings. That's the only message that gets us there, this idea of aligning the rules in a way that that outlaws aggression. And so uh, the good news is there's discord out there in the world. People are upset. There's change coming. There may be financial upheaval coming. That's all good news if what you're trying to do is to say, hey, uh, if you don't like what the R's and the D's are doing, there's another way. If, if Imagine trying to start a movement like this during times when things are going well, right? People don't care. They're not interested. So I'm very optimistic about, you know, for the very reasons you're pessimistic, I'm optimistic about having an, the best opportunity in our lifetimes ever to be spreading the message now in a way I think that is... Uh, more palatable than anybody before us has brought this message. I mean, look, we can't package this message in an economic treatise, right? I mean, this is why, uh, you know, the road to serfdom is is great and people love it, but it's never going to win the day for the masses because they don't read uh, economic texts. You know, Human Action by von Mises isn't going to be read by probably 1% of the population. It's too big. A no, book no, to you're, right. you're right.
2: You're right. You're
1: right. You're right. So right, so I,
2: I once again, you know, listen, we're totally on the same page in absolutely any way I can think of, and and I I agree with you. It's just that um, we're going into some very troubled times. This is this is like where we are right now is like actually it's not just 1929. That was pretty bad. We're actually more like 1939. That's what, we're, that, that's what I think we're looking at. And this is a worldwide kind of uh, kind of thing. So uh, what do you do about it? Well, all you can do is what, what you're saying philosophically and try to get as many assets as you can personally, so you can personally insulate yourself and your family and your friends from what's coming down. And uh, that's about all you can do. I mean, what else can we do?
1: Well, I mean, I, I don't think that, um, you know, the doomsday clock is, is sort of past the bewitching hour, if you will. I think there's still time uh, to change course. We don't need to have a huge change, of course. We I'm not saying things have to change overnight, but we could start moving in the right direction. I think if the reasonable people of the world got together, there are things we could do immediately. I advocate for uh, doing exactly what you do when a company or a person is bankrupt. I mean, the country's bankrupt. I mean, there's no arguing that, right? We we have more debts than uh, we know what to do with, but we also have a lot of assets. I don't know why on earth nobody's talking about selling the assets of the United States, right? The government, federal and state, have almost, you know, limitless value in terms of sell. Imagine selling off plots up at the Grand Canyon or Yosemite or, you know, one of these national parks where, you know, uh, as well as I do, who would buy it. Right. The highest bidder. They're not going to stick a pig farm on the edge of the Grand Canyon. This is going to be purchased by. Hyatt and, and Marriott and the Four Seasons and lots of money could be raised here. Maybe it doesn't extinguish all of the debt, but it gets us down to a level that we could avert the crisis, I think. Oh, let,
2: me, let me go further, talk about the debt. At this point, I think all we can do is default on the debt. And why do I say the U.S. government should default on its debt? Uh, well, there are several reasons. One of them is it would punish the people that were codependent on the US government, that were lending it money. They should be punished for lending money to the enemy. So I'm all for defaulting on the debt. All the real wealth in the world will still be here. It's just people sucking at the government's tit will no longer be um, getting so much. I've thought about the solutions to this big problem that we're facing, and that's why I've got to say, one of the reasons why, I started writing this series of novels that uh, I've been writing, a series of seven novels. First one was Speculator, uh, Reforming Unjustly Besmirched Occupations, second one was Drug Lord, where our hero, Charles Knight, becomes a drug lord, uh, uh, both in FDA-regulated and DEA-regulated drugs. And um, at the end of that book, they put him in jail. And then This last one we've done is called Assassin, where he uh, decides that there are... Well, the first line in the book is, some people just need killing. And you can see why I wrote a novel, because um, you can't say something like that in a nonfiction book. You know, you'd be put in jail. But in a fiction book, you can say whatever you want. So um, one of the themes of this novel is that... uh, Charles uses, um, well, he sets up a network using the internet and um, tokens and coins like, like Bitcoin and there are 10,000 others where, uh, in effect, you can um, hire individual paladins to uh, handle bad actors. Because, you know, one of the problems we've got is we've got actual criminals in office. And we always have criminals in office. Uh, they, criminals go to Washington and they're drawn there the same way as gamblers are drawn to Las Vegas or wannabe stars are drawn to Hollywood. So you get people that wanna control other people, people that are antithetical to live and let live, they go to Washington. Uh, so how do you get rid of these people? You've gotta make it upfront, up close and personal to them. So that's what assassin is about. And uh, uh, it's a hell of a good book. I want to recommend it to all your listeners and viewers and so forth because we're working on the next book, which is Terrorists. Uh, I see terrorism as a a, uh, tactic in warfare. You can't fight terrorism any more than you can fight uh, artillery barrages or cavalry charges or things like that. It's a tactic. So Charles is accused of being a terrorist, I have lots of views on terrorism and how it should be used. Uh, so, anyway, I want to recommend that people, because you know, Anne Rand had a lot more luck with her novels than she did with her nonfiction books. So, what you said is perfectly correct. People aren't going to sit down and read Mises. I mean, it's He's a hard read anyway, even if you want to
1: read it. Well, maybe,
0: maybe one of the reasons Doug is for the reason that you just gave. It's that when, when you're in the fiction category, you can express yourself in a way that's much more free, right?
2: Yeah. People want to be entertained as, as well as elucidated. And so that's what, that's what fiction does. So that's what I'm doing now. Uh, of course, uh, being an assassin and uh setting up a an informal group to surgically remove the bad guys. I don't know. How does that fit in with the live and let live philosophy?
1: Not at all. Right? I don't think so. Because imagine you could do this, right? Just imagine you could. I remember there on a, on an old Star Trek episode. I don't know if you remember. There was the evil uh, empire uh, in a different dimension or something. and And Kirk had this device in his... Uh, in his uh, chambers there where he could just press a button and somebody would just disappear. They would just be gone. If you could do that with Joe Biden, I would submit to you nothing would be accomplished. Joe Biden would be gone, but there would be Kamala Harris. And if you could get rid of Kamala Harris, there's another one ready to take over. So the root, yes. the root of the problem needs to be addressed. These people don't just fall out of the sky into offices, into political offices. The people elect them. We got to educate right at the ground level, grassroots spot. We got to, and we can do this because we we got a simple message and it makes sense. I'll put our message up against anybody's message. If we can get a full fair hearing, uh, we'll come out on top every single time, no problem. So it's not just a matter of sneaking somebody into office or getting somebody out of office. We've got to, if you want real change, that real change that will last and, and stay and persist, we got to change hearts and minds. And then we got to be vigilant, like the Founding Fathers said.
2: Oh, I, listen, I, I, I agree.
1: I'm, I'm just saying, for the purposes of the
2: novel, Assassin, that uh, you know, perhaps it's a good idea to make it really dangerous to be in office. <laughs> and uh, it, it would be a siege perilous, one that nobody wants to occupy. But you know, my hobby for many years, I I don't know if I've given it up or not for a number of reasons, but my hobby for many years was to go to third world countries and talk to the guy in charge, preferably a military dictator, preferably an (laughs) ex-People's Republic, and uh, present him with a plan where he could um, totally radically transform his country and turn it into Hong Kong on steroids in a short period of time make himself loved by the people. They like that. And, you know, uh, and, and make himself personally popular. Uh, the problem I had was not with the guy on top. It was always with the next layer of people underneath him. The deep state. We call them the deep state here in the, here in the U.S. Which there's probably about 2,500. They're corporate, top corporate executives, heads of agencies, generals, people like that. But uh, and the world would be a better place if they just disappeared. And of course, they're like poison mushrooms. There will always be new ones to grow up. But it's it's like cancer. If you've got cancer, you've got a problem, probably. But the doctor will tell you, well, yeah, it's probably going to come back. But in order to live another 10 years, let's cut it out, OK? And that's kind of what an assassin can do. Uh, No, I'm not saying anything that I want to be
0: prosecuted for. This is a novel. It's a fiction, folks. It's a fiction.
1: You know, Doug, I remember hearing about this project where you would travel around and try to talk to the top dog. And this was always the thing I liked best about everything that you were doing. And. Uh, man then don't give it up this is one of the best things you are ever working on in my opinion just take me and andy with you next time and let's pitch them on live and let live and then as to the deep state layer no problem this is what you do when you're in charge you get rid of all of them you fire all of them and you bring in your people who see things the way that you see the world and you go from there i don't know that there's any other way wouldn't it be wonderful to get the top dog of a country to get out there on TV and start winning the people's hearts and minds for the right reason. So if we could just get one of these, Doug, I don't care how small a country because you and I both know, pick any country you want and install the live and let live philosophy in that country. If, if that goes on for any period of time, this will be the best place on the entire planet to live. There'll be a superpower in no time. The people will have the highest standards of living. Let's get one of those going. I don't know if you got any contacts anywhere. We'd love to go over there and, and Give talk. them
0: a nice optimistic pitch about yes. how this is going to work. Oh, look,
2: I, I, there are even uh, times where I've dropped the ball, where I, I had an introduction, I don't know if it's still good or not, to the president of, uh, Saudi, I've done this in a dozen countries, uh, and, and the one that I might, I might still be able to go to if I felt like, of course you can't go anywhere today. International travel is down over 80%. You can't mm. fly anywhere today, frankly. Uh, certainly not unless you you get vaccinated, and I don't want to do that. But um, Sao Tome and Principe, now there's a country that most people don't even know is a country. And uh, the, the guy that put him in power, I was introduced to the guy that actually put this president in power. And we talked on the phone. He had offices in, in uh in New Delhi and Moscow. That's kind of an interesting guy. Yeah. And uh, we talked about this for uh, 20 minutes. And he says, I like this idea. But I didn't follow up on it because, you know, I'm tired of going to these little dog shit countries and, <laughs> you know,
0: having to make the
1: rounds with...
0: <laughs> so, sorry to any of our listeners right now from that particular. Yes.
1: Country. Yes. Um, but send your envoys, Doug. We'll be happy to go if you make the introduction and talk to the top dog and explain the virtues of a live and let live society there and see what we can get done. Well, we'd, we'd have,
2: we'd have a lot of fun and we'd have lots of, uh, lots of new material that we could retail to people at cocktail parties back <laughs> in the U S when you talk about these, these crazy people and these nothing nowhere places. But you know, I see it as being primarily a way to amuse myself. I don't think anything's gonna happen. But lightning can strike. I mean, after all, uh, the Germans were right when they put Lenin on that train to, uh, to uh, Moscow in uh, 1917. So maybe we can do Lenin in reverse. Anything's possible. I'm essentially a sculpsist. I believe anything that you can imagine can happen.
1: We're up for it. If you want to give it a try, Doug, we'd, we'd love the opportunity to try to talk some sense to somebody running a running a sovereign nation. And of, a, and of course,
0: if that country were to adopt live and let live principles, you wouldn't be able to call it a little dog shit country for too long. It would be incredibly prosperous. Yeah. It would be. Of sovereign. course. Of course.
2: Yeah. And a lot of these people, you know, just because you become the president of a country doesn't mean that you're smart, right. uh, it just means you're basically corrupt. But uh, yeah, a lot of these guys understand that and are willing to listen. But uh, like I said, I'm doing this for my own personal amusement. And to uh, you got to keep busy doing something after all. And so yeah, I, I listen. The last place, not the last place, the time before that, the last place I went to was Mauritania. There's another country most people don't know exists. Big country though, uh, in, in terms of area, and. Uh, it was a guy that subscribed to my podcast. And uh you know, he said, I have a connection in Mauritania who can introduce us to all the top people. So I got on a plane to Mauritania and I did that. And the time before that, the place I went to was Palau, another country most people don't know exists. you guys know it exists?
0: No Never heard of it. No.
2: Yeah, nobody's heard of it. It's uh but a lot of people have heard of the Battle of Peleliu. Uh in World War II, one of the most pointless and nasty battles of the war. Mm. And uh, Peleliu was one of the approximately 100 islands in the uh, Republic of Palau, which is about halfway in between Guam and the Philippines. That's where it's located. And so uh, there was a guy that uh, ran an oil drilling company. And he took me there and introduced me to the president. I went back a second time. and uh, Spent a lot of time with the president. Uh, but here, here's the problem with things like that. There was a guy uh, who, and the president was smart. He was a Harvard-educated lawyer. And Palau is a country with only 15,000 people, small.
1: Wow.
2: Um, interesting story. But here's what happened in Palau, which is kind of a takeaway from all this, is that there was a guy who was an American who'd been living there for most of his life. And he said, um, when we were talking, his president's best buddy, he said, "Yeah, listen, these guys might go for this here. They might go for your idea here, but um, you're going to have to move here. You're going to have to live here because we have what's known as a wheels up syndrome." And I said, "Wheels up syndrome? What's that?" It means when it's time for you to leave, we'll all go down to the airport with you and they'll wave. And but as soon as the plane takes off and the wheels are up.
1: They're going to forget everything and go right back to what they were doing. And, of course, he was 100% right. Well, they didn't really buy into the message then. I mean, that all that says to me is they the, the heart and mind was not won. It, the heart and no. mind needs to be won somehow. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I think a little country like that would be wonderful. I mean, if Hong Kong can do what they did there and Singapore can do what they did there uh, without the natural yeah. resources. I mean, any country can do this if you just... If you just install the right attitude, the right laws. Sure. I mean, or,
2: or more recently, Dubai. Perfect example. Not perfect, perhaps, but pretty good. I mean, it's unbelievable the change that's been made there. And you think that people like in uh, Argentina, uh, you know, these people are criminally insane. We're all the, you, you think that they'd take a look at that and say, you know what, if they can do it, we can do much better. We have so much more to work with, but it's like breaking a log jam, especially in these big countries. You know, the labor unions are very powerful, and they don't want to be broken up. And eh, you got the teachers' unions, and they don't want their rice bowls broken. And all these—it's—it's—it's it's, it's a very, very tough road to hoe when you're dealing with people that are doctrinaire communists that have been indoctrinated and socialism and Marxism and collectivism and statism since they were little kids. And it's been imprinted on their psyches. It's very hard to change these people's minds. And they're in political power, and it's hard to get rid of them.
1: You know, Doug, just to switch gears before we run out of time, I know that a lot of people who are fans of Live and Let Live are also Doug Casey fans. And um, I know that they would want to ask you, um, your thoughts on the current best places in the world to live if you want to live free. Because I know I mean, you've traveled to, I don't know how, if, you, if you've got a count on how many countries you've been to, and I know you've always gone there with the idea in mind that, um, hey, I want to f- live in a free society. What, what are your top choices, maybe top three or five places you like? Okay. What are
2: the best places? Uh, first of all, I think it's got to be a a small, incompetent place where the government is not very powerful. In South America, uh, I currently live in Uruguay. Uruguay is agricultural, small, and other than agriculture, um, tourism is its main business. And fortunately, the current president is a decent human being. That's about the most you can hope for. in four years, when they have elections again, these people are capable of electing any kind of an evil chimpanzee. So, uh, Uruguay is a good choice right now in South America. Peru, they elected a communist. Uh, Chile, which was going the right direction, they elected a communist. Argentina's uh, run by total communists. Uh, no, not much. So, let's see. Uruguay in 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 South America. In Central America, surprisingly, Mexico is not a bad shot now for the time being. But, you know, things can change with an election. These little places in the Caribbean, well, they're okay. They leave you alone because you're a foreigner with money. Uh, in Europe, best shot in Europe. Well, Monaco for the really rich people. Uh, otherwise, Eastern Europe. I'd say Poland, Hungary, uh, they're the best shots in Europe. And in the Orient, uh, you know New Zealand and uh, Australia are dead ducks. I mean, it's just these places, these places actually have turned into police states. I'm not sure if they're going to drop that.: uh, We had so much hope point. for
1: New Zealand at one point. I remember probably uh, back 10, 15 years. Everybody.
2: Ago. I lived in New, I lived in New Zealand.: Yeah, you loved I was in New a Zealand Latin, as a matter of
1: fact, right.
2: uh, for years, but no, it's a different place. All these places can change. Well, you got to remember, Australia was founded by criminals, and New Zealand was founded by serfs. And there's small, obscure places, of course, but um, in the Orient, well, I like I, I like that. And I I, I like kind of being uh, the only white guy in a country, because you're kind of interesting. You know, you're not a threat to anybody, because there's just one or a few of you. That's okay. Uh, you're not a threat to anybody. You're interesting. So... I like living. Uh, I like living in the Orient. I lived there for years too. Freedom has been banished from the world. There is no free place in the world. Switzerland, of course, is still good, but it's very uptight and conservative, and it's very expensive too. If that means anything to anybody, but uh, you're in Europe, you're screwed basically. Anyway, in, <clears throat> I, I promise you that in fifty years, Europe is going to be conquered by Africa. Really. Uh, just like uh, in the border uh, here in the U.S. uh, You know, there are going to be millions of people from all over the world that are going to be walking across the border. In Europe, it's much more serious because Africa is much, much poorer than Latin America. And any African with, you know, half a brain cell working, all he wants to do is get to Europe. And they're going to.
1: And how are you going to keep them out? Well, you can't unless you machine gun the boats. What are your thoughts on immigration and what should U.S. policy be on immigration? Well, if you
2: abolish 100 percent of all welfare benefits of whatever type uh, and certainly don't give uh, immigrants any leg up or any freebies of any type whatsoever, uh, you wouldn't have an immigration problem. And the people that did come here would be opportunity seekers and the best type of people uh, I think that that would solve the problem. And that's all you can really do to solve the problem. Yeah, a simple solution.
0: You know, you mentioned uh, Africa and, and the people there wanting, seeking freer lives and better circumstances. And we, we've seen this to be true firsthand, because as it turns out, our uh, Africa chapter of the Live and Let Live movement are some of the people who are most excited about pushing for change because they are they're very, very starved for it. And so, I don't know. To me, that's less of a case for pessimism and more of a case to rise to the occasion. Um, When when you see Team Africa and how excited they are about these, uh, you know, the goals of the movement and the change that's possible, um, we see a lot of enthusiasm. And I I think the less free the country, uh, the more that this is going to resonate with them if they are just allowed to understand it and listen and have a chance to participate in it.
2: Well, I agree. And, you know, I like Africa. I've spent a lot of time in Africa. got a lot of African friends. I don't know. Listen, I, I could be very optimistic about Africa. I could be. But uh, I'm afraid that what's going to happen as the world goes into the greater depression, which we're going into now, we've entered it already, um, there'll be no foreign aid to Africa. There'll be no investment to Africa. There'll be nothing going into Africa. And all of these governments there are so dysfunctional that, uh, you know, Africa could slip back into the Stone Age, quite frankly.
1: Wow. Doug, um, maybe a final question I have before we wrap it up here. What are your thoughts, given where we are economically, where the world is economically? What are your thoughts on wealth preservation? Do you like land? Do you like precious metals? Do you like stocks? What are your thoughts? Well, the first thing you got to do for wealth preservation is diversify politically,
2: because as uh, as much risk as the markets present, and they present huge risk today, uh, uh, your biggest risk is political. So you've got you can't have all your assets under the control of one government, or one government can grab them. That's number one. Uh, of course, for the average person. Uh, He's not in a position to do that and he doesn't have enough money. So, okay, forgetting about that for a minute. uh, Buy gold. Well, gold isn't a particular bargain right now. I'd I'd say it's fairly priced from a long-term historical level. That said, I'm still bullish on gold because I think there's going to be a bubble uh, in gold. And uh, of course, I speculate in small gold mining stocks where most people eventually lose all their money, incidentally. But I think right now, If I'm right, there'll be a bubble in gold mining and other commodity type stocks. So it's possible to make a lot of money with those things. So um, I guess that's some off the cuff, top of my head financial advice.
1: You didn't mention real estate. You're not uh, bullish on real estate, huh?
2: Oh, listen, I own lots of real estate, Um, but you don't really own real estate. If you, if you think you own it, try not paying your taxes for a year, and you'll find out who really owns it. That's a problem almost everywhere in the world. But uh, that said, yeah, I think I think real estate's a good idea. Like, you know, like my house here. Uh, if I become declared an enemy of the state, well, you know, maybe they'll move ten families into this, and I'll lose everything that I've got in the house. But it's not a big deal to me. It'll be inconvenient. I'll be unhappy. But uh, don't put all your eggs in the real estate basket for that reason, too. What people should do if they'd like to reach out to me, however, is go to internationalman.com, which is a free website where I do interviews and other people um, write great articles uh, all the time. So go to internationalman.com. And, uh I do want to promote an assassin. It's a hell of a good book or a speculator, which is the first book in the series or drug lord, which is the second. Other than that, I don't have anything to sell and there's no money in selling books. So and there's no money in a free blog either. So I have a podcast like you guys do. It's called *Duncan Casey's tape. So people can tune into that.
0: Sounds awesome. good. All Mark, right. well,
1: Mark, haven't you been on that? Yes, we did a podcast uh, not too long ago. And um, I think a lot of people really loved it. We'll send you a copy of this one if you want to distribute it to your crowd as well as I did with the podcast when I was on your uh, show as well.
2: Yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, do that. And uh, yeah, that's, that's good. One hand washes the other. And, uh, you know, if we don't hang together. We'll definitely hang
0: separately. <laughs> Fair I, th- point. I think we have a new goal in the movement, Mark, which is we got to make Live and Let Live a big enough thing that it actually gets Doug Casey optimistic about its I success. think that's our
1: new goal. <laughs> the next time we talk to Doug, I want to I want to hear how optimistic he is about things. So we got our work cut out for us, but I think it's doable.
0: I think we can raise to the challenge. Okay. This has been a great conversation. We've been talking to Doug Casey, uh, been a great guest. Everybody should go to liveandletlive.org for this conversation and many more. You'll find our podcast on there. You'll find upcoming events. You can start a chapter in your area, be part of the solution, not the problem, and learn all about the movement there and what we're up to. This has been Attorney Andy Markintel and Attorney Mark J. Victor. We're the Peace Radicals. Peace.